I want to drink it in. I want to watch it and just go like, oh my God, everything changed that summer. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Kat Spada, and we are back with a brand new season of Feminist Media Criticism Goodness. What better way to kick off a season then by welcoming back very special guest, Anita Sarkeesian. I'm a very special guest. Look at me. Did I say that last time too? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it still doesn't feel like it. It still feels like I'm just on a extended hiatus, you know? And it's still also like our dedicated hang time is to talk yeah. about Patrick Swayze. Spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'll take any excuse I can. I, I was like, Spiritually, I like the idea of starting every season with Patrick Swayze, just so people know like where they should be meeting me. Um, so then we, we were, then we have to do Donnie Darko next because I just watched that for the first time this for the week. F- I did first yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. So that's another Swayze hit that I didn't know about. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because I relearned how to play piano so that I could play <laughs> Mad World <laughs> from that yes. soundtrack when I was in high school. And I fully cosplayed as Donnie Darko. I have so much to say. We're absolutely actually maybe that'll be the Halloween episode. Might have like a bunch of yeah, people you come on do that. to talk That'd be about great. it. Because absolutely. AC, co-host of Macho's fully loaded season, also had only just watched it. So that might be a really fun thing. Or a live watch along, perhaps, which mm. is something we're testing out. So stay tuned. Um but yeah, you know, we're vaguely political, so we figured let's talk about the vaguely political <laughs> movie Dirty Dancing. I'm not sure who you are, but I don't want you to have anything to do with those people again. Baby, I don't see you running up to daddy telling him I'm your guy. Well, with my father, it's complicated. I will tell him. I, I don't believe you, baby. She shows him all he can be. You gotta stop it now. I know what I'm doing, Penny. I'm scared of everything. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What they learn from each other feels too good to be wrong. Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, and Cynthia Rhodes. Get ready for the time of your life. And then you, Anita, bravely, (laughs) (laughs) bravely and gallingly suggested we also discuss Dirty Dancing 2 Havana Nights. Look, okay, everybody who's ever listened to this podcast knows my deep love of Dirty Dancing. And and then you're like, let's talk about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. But like, let's make it more. Yeah. Like, like, let's just, let's make it a little more complicated. And complicated indeed. Not just me, post-COVID shot, trying to read the Wikipedia page of U.S.-Cuban <laughs> relations. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, let's do some, let's do some, uh, some little plot overviews here. Emile Ardolino's 1987 film *Dirty Dancing*, written by Eleanor Bergstein, stars Jennifer Grey as Frances Baby Hausman a teenager vacationing with her wealthy family in the Catskills in 1963. There, she meets a blue-collar dance instructor with a chip on his shoulder, Patrick Swayze, as Johnny Castle. Baby goes from not even being able to dance the pachanga to executing a perfect lift while learning about class treachery and illegal abortions along the way. Nearly two decades later, Hubris and director Guy Ferland (laughs) brought us a a sequel... (laughs) Prequel, sequel, prequel, named Dirty Dancing 2 Havana Nights, set five years before the events of the original, transposing the story of star-crossed lovers to the eve of the Cuban Revolution. Romola Garay and Diego Luna star with a cameo by Patrick Swayze that is abs- by far the best part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you didn't love the part where they're in the club dancing and she goes, Cuba! <laughs> <laughs> dancing to like... A uh, pop pop star of 2004, <laughs> Maya. Maya. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait! See, aren't you so glad we're doing it? Now, I could have gone my whole life never watching Dirty Dancing two. No, I disagree <laughs> because I 
like you, am obsessed with Dirty Dancing. It is formative. It is integral to like growing up and being a person for me. I remember when TBS would play literally from noon to midnight, just Dirty Dancing six times in a row, and I would watch all 12 hours of it. Um, And then I was a high school senior when they announced we're making another one and we're going to Havana. And my friends and I just thought it was so... My friends and I who were like, we're going to get into film as as adults... (laughs) We were like, this is uh, the death of art <laughs> because um, why Why Havana Nights? Like, what's next? Dirty Dancing 3, Tiananmen Square. Uh, this, I think, led to us imagining, like, what if they rebooted all of these, like, civil rights type stories? Which, you know, they would. Like, we are right. It is the death of art and also get used to it. But, um, you know, now, like, it's funny watching this almost 20 years later and thinking, like, oh, this is like retro in the way that Dirty Dancing was retro. Yeah, okay, so here, okay, uh, a, a couple things. So, okay, this isn't going to end up being Dirty Dancing 2, and I want to at least acknowledge Dirty Dancing. We will um, talk about both, yes. Yeah, for sure. But so when I started admitting that I love Dirty Dancing as an adult, yeah, people were like, huh. Right, like, they're really judgy about it. And mm. like, you know, like, they're really like, Mm, that's that like I maybe watched it as a kid. It's like a rom-com. It's not a comedy, but whatever. Um, and there's something interesting in the last several years where if I say that, they're like, yeah, totally. Dirty Dancing. Great. Like there's been a shift in yeah. the public perception of Dirty Dancing, which I think is very interesting. And it's weird to me that this movie had like everybody knows it. There's no one that's ever been like, what movie are you talking about? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. the, the, like not everyone has seen it and not everyone like remembers it, but it's so prevalent and it's not, I love it so much and we can talk about why, but it's not like a great movie. <laughs> like, it's not like, I'm, I don't quite understand the lasting impact that this movie yeah. has had, despite the fact that I've seen it, like, I can't even count how many times, probably like five times a year. Uh, I've seen it in re-releases in movie theaters. I've seen it at park screenings. I've seen the Broadway show of it, which mm-hmm. is fucking atrocious. Like, every time I can get my hands on something Dirty Dancing, like, I will do it, you know? But yeah, so so there's interesting, there is a cultural, and it's not even like a cult thing, right? It's just like, yeah. people know this movie, and like, there's just a lot more love for it lately. So one thing that I think is is interesting, and, and when I would defend myself, one, I don't need to defend liking anything, because you can just like what you like. But as an adult, I was like, this movie is actually really political. And I mean, really is being big quotes, right? It is like vaguely political, but it's interesting that they did try to fit in like most dance movies, right? Like I've watched a lot of them. They tend to have some kind of usually class um, and then a secondary element of race. Like Mm. most dance movies will have that kind of social cultural commentary, is it done well? You typically not. Is it kind of crass? Usually. Um, but that's, that's a, I think, a, a staple of kind of dance films in some way. But then this movie also deals with abortion, um, which as a child, I didn't understand why that was, because I grew up with abortion being legal at mm. the time. Um, and so I didn't understand what this was all about. Um, and it also deals with the, like, sexual agency of a young woman. Yeah which I didn't quite understand until I got older either that like she really owns her desires in a way that I think is like a great message and and really exciting. And she gets to like dictate the terms of her sexual experience. I think that there's really something to how like dance movies touch on politics in a way that you, I think is like, always there. Every time there's a dance movie, I mean, you can't just step up. You have to step up to the streets. You have to step up <laughs> Rev for Lucian. You, you um, have to you have to merge uh like street dance and traditional dance, right? Like it's all it's always a thing. It's like hip hop and ballet or whatever. I, there is a moment in Dirty Dancing 2, that I was like, this could be from Save the Last Dance, the Julia Stiles yeah. ballet dancer <laughs> yeah. who, like, she, learns about Black exactly. people movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that was the exact movie I was thinking of when I said that. <laughs> yes. But to go to the original Dirty Dancing, like that's absolutely, that's one that like, it felt like part of the canon for me. And then as I got older, like the movie did grow with me too, where I started to learn about the fact that like it was a banned movie for people. Like it was very, um, it, the fact that they talked about abortion and I actually wonder like, do they say, I don't think they say the word abortion in it, but it's clear what they're talking about once you know what they're talking about. Um, yeah, like there's a line in it where she asks her dad for money and he says, is it illegal? And she goes, no, daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know this movie like inside and out. Um, well, and and, and, and I, didn't, I a, didn't understand that. I was like, why is she? He's, she's just going to a doctor. I don't understand why it's illegal. Yeah. And like there, there is such a I, re, I was thinking about this with uh, God, this is such a wild jump, but. I was telling someone, oh, when I was a teenager, I used to watch those Duggar specials with all 18 kids and counting or whatever. And I was like, God, why did I? Like, my family wasn't religious in that kind of way where we looked at them and said, oh, we, we're like them or we want to be like them. But I realized that as a young girl and young teenager, like anything to do with pregnancy was really exciting for me because it spoke of like illicit sex in it and what happens when something doesn't go the way you want it to go. And so Dirty Dancing has this peril in it that like even before you really understand what's happening, when you see Penny unwell and that it's so bad that baby goes to her father to get his help, like that was always really, really striking for me. And that question, like... In as much as I think we should talk about, like, baby doesn't necessarily model the politics that she thinks she believes in. But that question of, like, where, what do you do when you have to make an ethical decision <laughs> that's, like, scary, scary to make or, like, new or frightening or whatever. And at the same time, she's, like, discovering sexuality and falling for someone and those are like it's like every possible emotion she could be feeling is just being pushed up to the max and i think that's what makes that movie so like i want to drink it in i want to watch it and just go like oh my god what everything changed that summer (laughs) (laughs) she's a totally new person um so stylistically dirty dancing is also uh weird because it is a movie that takes place in the 60s but it is such an 80s movie and other than the like outfits um especially penny's outfits i think they're fantastic it doesn't feel like it's the 60s there's a passing line to before kennedy was shot there's a passing line Mm. about this stupid rich guy uh talking about going on um um freedom rides and shit you know and you're just like oh my god like it's it's so the civil rights backdrop of this is literally one line um but the thing stylistically filmmaking wise is the music is half oldies half 80s yeah so i think that also influences us being like this is a fucking 80s movie right i mean it was like 89 i think it was like the end of the 80s but um or 87 or something like that so that that's a thing it's weird it's a weird thing um in Dirty Dancing 2, it feels like they went, hey, what are all the like the stylistic choices that were made in Dirty Dancing and let's yes. do them here to a T and badly executed. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me because the history of Dirty Dancing 2 was that it was originally a very serious political piece. Uh, it was based on a true story about a woman whose family moved to Cuba right before the revolution a white American family. Um, and that got taken. Every single word got changed and it got turned into Dirty Dancing too. So like that history makes sense in terms of the fact that they're like, we're going to micro impose all of these things. And it just aggressively doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Like there's something about the first time you see Johnny Castle dancing with Penny and baby because they're teaching baby how to dance. And they're in these like, 
flash dance leotards with sparkly belts that's like what like this is it's so 80s and they just have like ratted hair like they don't even have like teased out 80s hair and then but watching that where it's just like i don't remember a time before seeing dirty <laughs> dancing so that then watch dirty dancing too and see the like wet seal clothing <laughs> yeah. and i swear there is a like cuban tinged cover like it's just instrumental of either she's like the wind or hungry yes. eyes in this soundtrack where i was like Da-na-na. it's the like, it's the it's the time of your life song the t- oh okay yeah. i was like wait so they're taking like it's it's a russian doll <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of a stylistic choice but i think what's also something is that like I felt like Dirty Dancing 2 is so much more sexless than the original. And that was striking to me. I was like, I feel like this doesn't go far enough to like actually feeling like desire is a part of what is happening here. It's really just about like, well, I'm a studious girl, but now I'm a dancer (laughs) instead of like, I'm aroused and I need to push that further and figure out where that goes which bless diego luna i think he's fucking great he's the only thing in that movie that's like in is somewhat enjoyable when that's hard to say because the whole movie kind of sucks but but like the 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 they do these things with the 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 comparisons that i'm drawing are like the music right so it's got like uh i'm guessing cuban music like they're you know whatever probably I can't, I don't trust anything to be authentic yeah. in this movie. So it's like, they filmed it in Puerto Rico, but not that they could film Diego it. Diego Luna's Mexican. Yeah. Um, but so they have like maybe time appropriate music of the region, but then they have all of this like 2000s, late 90s music mixed in. And it's so jarring and weird. Like it doesn't, because also because the sets and the costumes and everything are so time period specific, whereas Dirty Dancing kind of straddles this like line that's not too deep into the 60s so in dirty dancing 2 it doesn't quite work they do five million montages that are terribly cut (laughs) they're so boring and in them you can also see a lot of like comparisons so like the scene you were just talking about with penny baby and uh patrick yeah like dancing the three of them they do a scene like that with her little sister which yeah. doesn't make any sense, right? They do the scene where they're trying to learn to dance together and they're frustrated with each other. They do the scene... Um, oh, there's another thing where, like... So at the end of Dirty Dancing 2, it's a competition, right? There's two big dance numbers. And the first dance number, like, she's wearing this beautiful orange dress that I was like, I want that dress. I would yeah. kill that dress. And then in the second one, which is the finale dress... Uh, it's so bland and not interesting. And I was like, oh, it's supposed to be like baby's dress at the end of Dirty Dancing, oh, which is a okay. boring pink dress. And right. I was like, that's such a weird choice for this. Like, it's yeah. nobody's going to notice that except for like me. And, <laughs> you know, and like, it doesn't really work. And so there's just a lot of little things like that that I was like, that's Dirty Dancing, that's Dirty Dancing, that's Dirty Dancing, like over and over again, but like way worse and like not well done at all. Yeah, like even the the boyfriend, the sort of or like whoever the quote unquote acceptable boy is. Jonathan Jackson. <laughs> Jonathan Jackson. Like in this movie, like he like rips her her strap on her dress. And again, like there's not a lot of par- like that scene isn't shot or written or performed in a way where I feel like this is a really perilous moment. Like it's just it just does kind of seem like they were he was trying to kiss her and she's saying no. And then her her dress rips. Whereas like in the original, these nefarious men who are like, quote unquote, like the good guys, the ones baby should be attracted to are like actually, I think quite devious, but I think that's the thing with both of these movies. And, and I'm certainly well better versed in the first one is like, yeah, they do have one or two throwaway lines to the like political climate. But what they do try to set up is that, like, Baby is a very politically minded person, but she has never had to really experience what politics mean in her life. And 
now she's confronted by class and she's confronted by legality of abortion and she's confronted by, I mean, like to some extent sex work, you know, like she's, she's dealing with really seeing that like people aren't born on third base the way that she is. And that I think is also a big tension. Like in this movie, it starts the, the opening in the sequel, it starts with a line that's like, here's everything I know about Cuba. My friends aren't here. I have to start a new school year. And uh, some guy's trying to overthrow the government. (laughs) 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 But like both of them, what neither movie ever, like, well, the first movie does a better job, obviously, of everything. But both of them, like at the end of the movie, right? The question is like, baby, what now? Like, now do you just go to Smith and you just move on with your life? And Ramola Garay in Dirty Dancing 2, like, what now? You leave Cuba, and then what? Like, is there any lasting impact of having, like, gone and lived through a revolution in Cuba? Is there any lasting impact to, like, I realized that a lot of people have to make difficult choices because of the lives they're born into, and I really don't. Like, yeah, and and you know, framing it like that, I think Dirty Dancing works better. The original works better because it is like uh, it is more micro in terms of its politics, right? It's yeah. not it's not dealing with civil rights as the backdrop of this movie. Uh, it's not dealing with race, which is you know also it could it could have, but it didn't. Yeah. Um, whereas setting it to the backdrop of the of the Cuban Revolution is huge. And they just did such a disservice to that. And they weren't able to integrate that in, in a like authentic way. Um, and I think that that's a, a little bit of a difference in why like the politics of dirty dancing kind of works better is because they took less swings, right? Like yeah. they were trying to do less. Um, and yeah, you know, like they're, they're the whole movie, wh- the whole movie sounds like it was 80 yard, first of all, <laughs> but um, they, you know, like, D- towards the end, there is a political opinion that that arises from it, but the whole movie is very centrist um, in uh, Javi- uh, Javier's character being like, I have to take care of my family, but my brother gets to be a revolutionary and blah, 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 blah. And he's like critical of him and h- him and his brothers who are the revolutionaries are like assholes and not accepting. And you're like, yeah, but they shouldn't be. These fucking white people keep coming here and using right. all their resources and shit. And so, but they're framed as like, not giving her a chance because she's one of the nice ones, you know, like that kind of shit. And I was just like getting, I was so over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like the age, I think is also a question mark in both of these movies. Like maybe if it's like their 16 year old brother and he is a waiter or a bus boy and they're like, ah, he's, he's getting his rocks off with this girl right now. Like maybe they would give him that like pass but then they keep saying like our father died for this (laughs) like it is really there's like executions and stuff in this movie that yeah you can't then like cut to john slattery and Celia ward going woo in a a dance contest and feel like great i hope they aren't cia contractors like we have no idea what the parents do there's also like we talked about this a little bit in the um in the macho season we talked about like the the sexualization of the blue collar man. I mean we were talking about it for like men who love men content, but that is also I think a piece of this which right then gets racialized in the second movie where she's attracted to him and there's various levels to that. And I feel like in the first movie, like one thing, this is about to be me like being very aesthetically focused for a few minutes, but I definitely always grew up like seeing myself in Jennifer Grey and thinking like, wow, the sort of mousy girl, right? Blossoms. She like dresses, starts to dress more. short shorts. (laughs) Yeah, she wears short shorts. She carries a watermelon, but she starts to dress and act more confidently, like be in her body. And then this like, this man who everyone agrees is just sexuality personified falls for her because of her spirit, like because she wants to fight for the right thing, because she wants to stand up for people. And that that 
is what like ultimately makes him fall for her. Like that is a huge part of the movie for me. And in the sequel, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, like hot people be fucking. <laughs> like, well, but they they do try to do that in Dirty Dancing too badly. You know, like there's a scene at the end of Dirty Dancing where um, Johnny finds Baby uh, like hiding away because he got fired or whatever, and she's like, yeah. "Oh my god, it's gonna be okay. They can't, you know, they're not gonna get rid of you." And he's like, "Baby, I'm out." And he's she's like, "I did it all for nothing." Yeah, <laughs> would you do yeah. a dramatic reading of this movie? I would. Um, love I did it nothing for nothing. Um, and uh, and he's like, "No, baby, nobody's ever done anything like that for me." And and like talking two weeks about ago, how- I'm bouncing quarters. <laughs> no, I can keep. The, I know. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Uh, juju beads. I'm eating juju beads, and then there's stuff in <laughs> diamonds down my pockets. Um, so that scene though is where he's like, nobody's ever done anything like that for me. Nobody's ever gone out on a limb for me. What you do, baby, is you care, which. Mm-hmm is kind of a problem if I'm going to pick this apart because like she's doing the paternalistic white person thing is I'm yes. going to come in and save you. And she's being rewarded for that shitty behavior instead of learning that that's a problem. Um, they do that in dirty dancing too, where she's trying to like save him. Like I'm going to get you in this dance competition. And then there's a scene at the very end mm-hmm. where like they, they, they have this exchange where it's like, you know, like, it's cool that you care about these things, but I have to stay here anyways or whatever. And it just doesn't, it, it like, it lands dead. And th- there's also this scene where she's like, I'm going to give up my entire life and stay here and have babies with you. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it, but, but they are trying to make these, like, good white girls who care about other people and and are trying to use their power to do good for these poor poor uh working class and brown folks and um it that part's gross and in both of them i think but in dirty dancing 2 specifically like it's really clunky and like it feels worse because it's done so badly i guess that's kind of fucked up to say they're both they're both bad that that's a message in it you know they also, like, that whole conversation in Dirty Dancing 2 was so stupid, but at least I was like, well, this is how teenagers think. Like, this is where you're like, yeah, w- my family is going to move back to the U.S. and you're going to come with us and then we'll send for your whole family and everything's going to work out. But then I do feel like it at least concludes more believably yeah, of, like, them acknowledging, like, this has been a great few months and... It's Hopefully not, we'll see each yeah. other again, but... It's it's not the part where she's like, you'll come over and we'll win and it'll be great. It's the after that where she's like, well, I'm just going to stay here with you then. Right. right. And you're just like, mm, are you? Is that yeah. what's going to happen? Mm. Probably not. There is There is an ethnic component in the first movie that they barely do touch, which is the Jewish cultural element of like, they're at a Jewish resort in the Catskills, which... My personal relationship, too, is that my dad grew up in the Catskills as a Gentile who was a waiter at a Catskills Jewish Okay. <laughs> and would tell me about, like, learning Yiddish so that he could talk to some of the clientele and make sure to get their orders right and, and have a, a full menu of, like, Eastern European and, like, Jewish diaspora food on the menu. And that uh, that's always been culturally interesting to me. Um, from that perspective, but like they never really touch on the fact that these are like wealthy New York City Jewish families who come here. There is a waiter who I believe is also a, supposed to be like a Jewish character. So that's one reason why they uh, he appeals to the parents. But that Johnny and maybe all of the other like staffers who we see dirty dancing in the staff quarters are just like blue collar, not Jewish, like that ethnic piece never really gets touched. Yeah, um, not at all. But also, I, like, it's more complex than just saying, like, a white blonde American in Cuba. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so that character you're talking about, um, he, there's a great scene in it where he tells her to read Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead, and she's like, you can go fucking shove this up your ass. <laughs> um, but at some point, all of the servers, the owner of the um, the resort, 
is like, I picked you all out from Yale and Princeton and Harvard. And you're like, why why are they doing that? I don't understand if they're going there. Why would they be working here? And he says at some point, I've I've saved up enough tips for my Alfa Romeo. And I'm like, (laughs) what kind of tips are you getting, man? That's fucking wild. I don't think he's getting diamonds in his pockets. (laughs) No, I don't think he is either. Also... This is absolutely nothing to do with anything, but Dirty Dancing has this incredible, like, G-plot of the old couple that's stealing <laughs> stealing yes. wallets from, like, all of the Borscht Belt resorts. And I don't know why I just remembered that and felt the need to bring it up, but... Um, it, it's yeah. fantastic. I love it. I, I also, like... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, also, when they're doing their the the dance at the other hotel, and it's so bad, like it is so atrociously yes. bad. And they're like, "No, no, you did good. It was great." And like, though that couple walks in, and you're just like, "Oh, well, obviously they have something to do with something, right?" Moving yeah. forward, but and you see them drop the um, you see them drop the purse full of wallets. Yeah. So anyways, whatever that's but. Yeah, but they're so cute. And then you're like, yeah. And you're like rooting for them because you're like, that's fucking dope. Good for you, you know? I read today about uh, how apparently there are retired couples who just live on cruises instead of oh, yeah, keeping their homes because afford... it's cheaper. Yeah. And it reminded me of them. <laughs> yeah. It is a, that is like a heartbreaking, but it's also like, man, what are we doing Weird. here? <laughs> super weird um let's talk a little bit about the production of both of these movies i know that um like there's just like i said that like jennifer gray was she was like a figure to me because of this and she's like an epo baby and everything but one thing that always struck me is like she had a career-ending nose job and like that I always found to be so fascinating that like as an actress, especially as somebody who grew up in show business, her dad's like a million time Tony winner um, that and and he's in cabaret. It's probably like the the role, the film role. Everyone would know him most Uh, that she goes into like, well, here's what the here's the way for me to be like a star. And then it's like, no, no, you were supposed to be a character actress all along. So that always kind of struck me. But there's a lot of other stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, it's interesting. That piece of it's interesting. Because so when I was growing up in the 90s, nose jobs were a big deal. Like everyone mm-hmm. was talking about them. And um, as a coming from a family where we do not have traditional white Eurocentric noses that like it came up uh, between me and my sister sometimes. And it's it's interesting to me that that was her downfall and it could be used as an excuse right to yeah. like sideline her right because lots of celebrities got nose jobs and they didn't lose their careers over it or whatever um and so i i think there's something there's got there's other things at play that make it complicated but like she did she straightened her hair she got a nose job like she really was trying to fit into the aesthetic which makes sense for female actors in general, you know, and and the pressures around that. And, and it, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't buy that. That was like completely why she wasn't working anymore, but I, I wouldn't doubt that like aesthetics had something to do with it. And it's also sad, you know, like you grow up watching a movie like this and being like, she's the star and she's, you know, like she's the love interest and whatever. And like, she wasn't good enough as as a human and like all of us who watched that really young and know that are kind of like well that sucks and she did like other before the nose job right she had character roles she was in ferris bueller's day off and she in like red dawn right that was the other yeah. patrick swayze movie that she has like a small role in but yeah like it could be that she was not going to be a lead or a romantic lead, but that this movie happens to work because of everything that sets up. But I know that you mentioned that there was like not a great working relationship in our notes yeah. uh, between her and Patrick Swayze. So there, so they worked together on Red Dawn, and uh, she didn't want to work with him again because some shit went down on that set, and he like. Ha- he and whoever talked her into doing it. And apparently they had like really amazing chemistry in their, um, their tests, their test shoots. 
And but on set, they were just like fucking going at it constantly. And like they were trying to like the, the director was really trying to the director and the writer. The writer was like a hugely like part, like actively part of creating this movie. Um, was constantly trying to get them to like get along and find that chemistry again because they clearly have on screen chemistry. But there is also stuff where like, and this is the stuff I don't want to know. Um, uh. I I have a I this is not a hundred percent, but I think this is true. Um, you know the scene where in the da- in the like training montage where he is caressing her uh, armpit yes. down over and over again. Um, apparently that was real. So yeah. like he was getting mad, like that was him being angry at her, like Patrick Swayze at Jennifer Grey, not baby, not the, the characters. And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't want to know that. That sounds fucking terrible, you know, and like they and then they use it in the movie and it's just like feels a little gross to me. Um, so, you know, there, like there's stuff like that. The filming of it is extremely fraught, like they could only get the the place where they shot it for like 14 days. So they had to shoot the rest of it at some, like, I don't know, boys camp or something somewhere else. They had like 40 ish days to shoot the whole thing. The scene where they, um, they, it went from like extreme heat waves to extreme frost. And so when they did the water scene, it was like massively freezing. Like people were in like winter jackets and shit and they're like in the water. Um, so it was just like a really fraught production. Yeah. Um, I remember from uh, DVD special features that story about the like the arm movement, the like tickle that she keeps breaking and laughing and he gets really frustrated and he keeps kind of walking off. That that was real. It makes me think about like I was a dancer growing up and there would always be like like married dance teachers like that had this very (laughs) like kind of aggressive relationship that like made them incredible dance partners and i think about the fact that patrick swayze is married was married to a dancer as well and that like there is especially for for ballroom and like traditional dance like there is such rigidity and structure and it's like militaristic in the way that you have to have perfection in it and i can only imagine that like Oh, when I'm doing acting, I'm doing acting, but we're doing dancing. Yeah. And this is what I know Apparently, about. he, like, had to tone down his skills so that he didn't look like a professional dancer in it. Um, and he did a, some, like, body modification stuff, like bindings to make mm. him look, like, leaner. Because he is supposed to be way younger than he is. And yeah. she was, like, 27 pretending to be 16, you know? Like, yeah. it was, she, he was, like, only a few years younger than, like, the mom or something like that, you right. know? Um, I. I also just about their chemistry was because this is something that I remember hearing that Jennifer Grey did in her audition and that also was kept in the movie. They like had her do it again for this for the shot is that when she goes to his room after the dramatic events and she goes to dance with him and that's when they like first have sex is that they're dancing and she walks around him and like appreciates his body and then she rubs her hand across his butt. And that she had done that in the audition and that wasn't like part of the choreography they'd given her with that. She touched his butt. They were like, okay, we need you to do that. again." Yeah. <laughs> and apparently like when they were fighting and didn't have chemistry, they made them watch the screen test again. So to remind <laughs> them that they were good. Um, yeah. Other like little things is so Patrick Swayze is like known for wanting to do his own stunts. And like, I think mm-hmm. we talked about this in point break about how he like, wasn't allowed to do his own stunts, so he went on the weekend and did it himself with his own film crew and shit, like, because the insurance wouldn't cover him jumping out of a plane. Right. So in this, he wanted to do his own stunts as well, which there's not a lot of stunts, but there is the part where they're walking on the log. So that's a stunt. That's Jennifer Grey as a stunt double on that one, but he actually fell and, like, popped his knee out or some shit. Like, he hurt, injured his leg during that process, which, for a short shoot, you know, like, yeah. with, it's... It sounded like a very difficult shoot to make this movie. And um, I think there's also something else about how they couldn't get it picked up by a production company right. or a distributor. And so the the company that V something, um, they were like really new and they were trying to get into home video. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this was one of the highest, like the first highest selling home video uh, movies as well. When... Patrick Swayze shows up in Havana Nights. 
<laughs> it's, it's never spelled out that that's supposed to be Johnny Castle or not. Like he's It can't just, be. It can't be because he's 20 the years t- older. Yeah, the timeline doesn't work at all. No, and like, uh, but you said he tones his dancing down in Dirty Dancing. The fact that in 2004, when he is dancing, like you see him dancing with a student, it's like, oh, this guy's the best dancer in this entire movie. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. so good. You cannot look away from him in a way that, like, I think Diego Luna's adorable, but, like... I- yeah, he, but he's not a dancer. He, like, trained <laughs> no. for, like, weeks beforehand to yeah. do with the piddly bit that he did, you know? Right, like, when he, like, rubs his hand, like, down her... Oh, yeah, that's the other one. That <laughs> felt like the sternum. armpit thing. Like, over and over again, I was like, this is not sexy. I don't know what you're trying to do. Like, it's not yeah. working. It doesn't... It, there's it doesn't tell you anything it's just like oh is he trying to touch her boob like i don't really get it but when patrick swayze shows up first of all like you said about poorly edited montages he literally is like hey young girl do you want to participate in this dance contest why don't you dance with me and then like they switch coverage like they switch the angle and the dozen women that were in the room just aren't there anymore. <laughs> was, like, yeah. There was no script supervisor <laughs> like there's no continuity in this movie. But again it's like oh he's just the most magnetic person on screen. Um but I did want to mention also like I don't know if you have the same thing where every time a movie starts with the Miramax logo I just go like oh shit. <laughs> Like, I know that there was some bullshit involved. And yeah, the thing that first like stood out to me, of course, the fact that like they acquired a script that had nothing to do with the final product. They shoehorned it into existing IP that they wanted to monetize. Like that's a tale as old as time in Hollywood. But I saw this line on Wikipedia that was like, this was British actress Ramola Garai's first Hollywood movie and she almost quit acting afterwards. And I was like, that tells me more than what the rest of the Yeah, she was a part of coming out against Weinstein. Yeah, I mean, she was 18 years old. Um, at least from what I've read, like, he, at the very least, answered his hotel, tried to get her to meet him in a hotel room, answered in a, in a robe, and she was like, what is happening? This is inappropriate. But also, back to the Jennifer Grey and the body image tyranny <laughs> of... Yeah. All, all days, but certainly the 80s, 90s, and aughts, uh, is that she was told by production that she was not skinny enough, like, repeatedly. And she kept saying, like, well, why did you cast me then? Like, if you wanted a skinny girl and watching this, and she's, like, maybe a size four. So, of course, it's, like... <laughs> Pro- probably you know. barely even that. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, it's just that she has, like, a little bit of boobs. I think that's what counts as, like, not being skinny in this time in 2004 when as we know you look at like if you look back at magazine covers from that era and how mercifully things are yeah this was the era of like the the waif fashion time which i just found it can i digress yeah please so i just watched the supermodels it's a four episode docuseries on apple and um it it follows around um models that you've heard of <laughs> Naomi Campbell and Linda, Linda Evangelista, Evangelista. Christy Brinkley no um I'm just thinking of that era because they're they uh, are oh a God. fascinating bunch yeah I've, no, I've got to watch that the fucking uh Cindy Crawford and the other one who's who you absolutely know and whose name I'm completely forgetting right now um but so like we grew up with them as like household names And it was to me, the documentary isn't like a well-made documentary, but I'm I'm interested in the cultural context of this thing that like I vaguely remember from childhood. So as their superstardom was waning in terms of how uh, their popularity, the Soviet Union fell. Mm. And so as um, designers started getting frustrated that people cared more about the models and the clothes uh, agents went scowl like scouring through uh, those former Soviet right. Union co- countries and just grabbing everyone off the street that is Helena like model quality. And so that's so they're like, we can get forty models that look exactly the same uh, instead of a bajillion dollars for one, you know, superstar. And that's went ushered in that sort of waif look. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so interesting to me in terms of the how the, like political climate influences 
fashion and pop culture yeah. and trends and everything. Uh, that is fascinating. I have to watch that. I had a really messy thought recently. <laughs> and I'm just going to admit it on the air, which is uh, Kaya Gerber, who's Cindy Crawford's daughter. I haven't seen the movie Bottoms, but she's like one of the hot girls in the movie that the main teenagers are like trying to to woo i think and she looks so much like wait mother's really son. yes Kaya oh my Gerber. god okay 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 so when i was in the theater yeah okay 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 so i kept thinking that she looked exactly like um rachel bilson because yeah. I watched the fuck out of Heart of Dixie like a million times. <laughs> and I was like, I can't get over how much she looks like her. And my friend who watched it with me was like, she looks exactly like a young Cindy Crawford. Yeah. And I was like, I don't see that. When I watched the documentary and saw some really young photos of Cindy Crawford, I was like, holy shit, she looks exactly like that. So that's wild. No wonder right. this all makes sense now. Well, my messy thought was that like a generation later... There are probably young queer girls who watch that movie and who have a sexual awakening of Kaya Gerber. And I remember very strongly when Cindy Crawford posed for a magazine cover with KD Lang, pretending to shave, to give her like a barbershop shave. And that absolutely broke my brain <laughs> wide open when I was a young child. And so I was like, oh man, like, the queer awakening of the Cindy Crawford bloodline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wild. Uh, I didn't connect that. That was who that was. Also, uh, now that like Maya Hawk is kind of getting a little bit more famous. Also, I'm seeing so much like young Uma Thurman in her. Mm. Um, the only last thing I kind of wanted to say about <laughs> this is the last thing I want to say about Dirty Dancing to Havana Nights. Um, is that it reminded me to revisit a movie that I had seen in college called I Am Cuba. Uh, have you ever seen this? A black and white 19... No. It's like 1963-64. It's a Soviet movie. I don't think anybody really paid attention to it until like the 90s when these like auteur filmmakers like Scorsese were like, oh, there's this like really influential movie that should be restored. And I have not ever sat through all like two and a half hours of it. And I probably never will. But like, if you watch it, it is, it is incredibly visually stunning. And so watching Havana Nights, I was like, I want to see, I want to revisit this movie and remember like, what did this place actually look like? And how were people trying to show that? So there's like, probably famously, it's in the first like 10 minutes is a very impressive tracking shot that goes from like a rooftop, like down several floors into a pool party in underwater into the pool. And it shows this kind of like lavish luxury of this Cuban party that's happening. And they just showed you some real impoverished people in Cuba who are sugar farmers. And then it cuts to like an Afro Cuban jazz club. Like it really is kind of a very visually like a sensual movie they also shot it on like Soviet infrared cameras. So everything looks like in high relief. So it's a strange thing, but it's on Canopy. So if you have a library card and you get Canopy, you can watch stuff for free. And oh, cool. I would definitely recommend, we'll link it in the show notes. I would recommend like pull it up, watch the first 15 minutes and then like scrub around <laughs> and see if you like find any sequences that you think are compelling. Cause I think the plot lines are kind of like these meandering vignettes and may or may not be um worthwhile but uh yeah that was something i wanted to recommend to our actually listeners. that got me thinking if like a little bit this isn't super well thought out but so the dancing one embarrassingly for dirty dancing too they literally say dirty dancing in the last song which gross why would you do that <laughs> um but in the original dirty dancing there's like one black couple in the the, the dirty dancers Yes. Um, and they're, it's always, they're always dancing together. Um, and it's not really acknowledged where this style of dancing comes from. Right. Uh, and it's all white. It's mostly white people, but they're like, you know, there's, there's, there's like Italian. It's mo it's mostly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's mostly white people. Um, so there's no acknowledgement of that. 
and Dirty Dancing 2, it's obviously Cubans who are doing the dancing and like they there's they're not really talking about race ever there it's mostly yeah. talking about class here and i think there's something about the erasure like the constant cultural erasure of where uh, and we do this now we still mm-hmm. do this today right of like where these particular styles of dance have become popularized or you, you know commodified by the mainstream like where they come from and their origins and, and that sort of thing so um I think both movies kind of fail at that. Yeah. Like the, there's a throwaway line in Dirty yeah. Dancing about like, they're, I don't know, kids are doing back home in their parents' basements. And you're like, sure, that's it. Right. And I think there's something, there's something in Dirty Dancing too about like, about an African influence. But I, again, they don't ever really explain. Yeah. Like, oh, the the dance that Johnny uh, in Dirty Dancing two the dance that the Patrick Swayze teacher does at when you first meet him is the same dance that they do with Penny uh, the first dance you see them doing in the, oh. the yeah it's like it's it's the same thing I was like I know this dance that's amazing <laughs> there's like, like a couple of tweaks of difference in it but I'm like yeah this is the same fucking thing literally like I have been in physical therapy because I. I literally, I just sit too much and my back has been bothering me. I still think I could like do all of the dances from Dirty Dancing just from like some sort of muscle memory of being alone in my living room dancing yeah. along to them. Uh, yeah. I, I would love to hear if our listeners have the same kind of like obsession with Dirty Dancing that we do and also have any of you watched this sequel. Yeah, I can't recommend it. I did. I, I I roped my roommate into watching Dirty Dancing 2 with me last week. And I was like, you know, I know it's a bad movie, but I have a vague memory of it not being as bad as I thought it was. That is not <laughs> true at all. It is worse than you would expect it to be. There's a review that was on Wikipedia from the Toronto Star that called it charmless, clumsy, and culturally offensive all at the same time. And I was like, that is accurate. <laughs> Extremely. Is accurate. So I cannot recommend it. But... You know, if you really want to experience the whole host of Dirty Dancing offerings, give it a try. And hey, for anyone who's worried that Jennifer Grey did not have a happy ending, she is living off that Marvel money because she is married to Clark Gregg of the Marvel oh, Cinematic really? Universe. Huh. <laughs> so we're happy for Jennifer Grey in all things. Um, but we will be right back to share some freakouts. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Anita, what's your freak out? Well, my freak out is that I broke my foot and I'm fucking miserable about it because I have just been in bed for four weeks, so that sucks. But uh, that means I've been watching a lot of movies. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not all bad. Um, Many, many, many years ago, I had a friend who was very obsessed with Dolly Parton. And we rented all the Dolly Parton movies and we watched all of them. And then we went to see Dolly Parton live, like fucking second row front in some random casino, like two hours out of L.A. Uh, And my friend got her water bottle with her lipstick on the straw and and was like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. I was like, I'm so happy for you that you have this thing that you care about. And apparently it got shook up and the lipstick got taken off when the water was on it. Anyways. okay, so during that that time. I have this memory of this movie called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas and being like, I need to revisit this movie because I just know that Dolly Parton's in it and it's a little wacky, but I don't remember anything about it. So I rewatched it. Um, It is from um, 1982 and it stars Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. And it is so fascinating to me because it is of... It feels like a movie that could have only been made in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it just is like, I don't know how it got approved or how or when or why. Like it, there's a the larger cultural context of what was being made. I think it really influenced the ability to make this movie because it's about a brothel in a small town in Texas. Dolly Parton is the madam of the brothel. And it's a very sanitized version of sex work, right? Like there's this door, there's an adorable song. It's a musical, obviously. Yeah. 
not obviously, but it is. Um, and there's like an adorable song where she just like, we don't let men drink in here and we wash their dicks before we have sex with them. And everybody is happy and like taken care of and it's all good, you know? All the girls um, love it. They love it. Um, and Burt Reynolds is the chief of police. And there is a like long-term affair that um, Dolly and Burt are having. And that's also really cute. Um, the thing that strikes, so so the narrative is that uh, everybody in town is down with the brothel, like the mayor uh, pays for the winners of the fucking local football superhero Super Bowl right. competition to yes. like have a night at the brothel. Like it's really wacky, but um, everybody's down with the brothel. They all are happy with it. It's been there it's forever. The backbone of the town community. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Um, and then this guy who is a journalist, an investigative journalist, but is like a, you know, like a super religious and like, um, it, like inflammatory, you know, like he's just like trying to get people riled up. He's, he talks about how he's like uncovering the truth as he's getting dressed and like putting a sock in his pants to make his dick look bigger. Like he's like an extremely exaggerated, like fake, uh, persona. Uh, he goes after the 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 brothel the whorehouse <laughs> the best little whorehouse he goes after the brothel um so that's like the narrative of it and the chief of police is like fuck you don't fuck with our town and also with my woman that nobody knows about blah 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 right. blah blah the thing that I find fascinating is how like uh they're never demonized like the sex work is never demonized the brothels never demonized they are like the poor lowly victims of like this crusade that mm -hmm. they don't deserve like it's not even like the town isn't mad at them like people are for supporting them it is extremely exaggerated and over the top and it just feels kind of this movie feels out of nowhere a little bit mm -hmm. to me you know like it it's i don't even know if i would say it's time capsule it's just like what like how did this get made <laughs> you know yeah and then i mean it's hard not to think about like today's conservative politicians who are uh, very vocal about what they think is over-sexualization for children and who all are all artifice all the time when it comes to always backing that up. So it's like, and yet, yeah, you definitely feel like, oh, they wouldn't make this movie today. Like it, it's, it's enough of a minefield kind of on either side. Um, I heard that you had watched that and then I recommended and I still am going to follow up with you that you watched the 1987 Burt Reynolds movie Rent-A-Cop in which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he is investigating a serial killer with the help of sex worker Liza Minnelli. <laughs> and I can't wait. Another like wh where, why, how, when did this The 80s idea... was a fascinating time, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean... I and my only like I only watched Best Little Whorehouse a couple of years ago. I think similarly, I was just like, you know, Dolly Parton's always kills it. <laughs> Why don't I watch this? Um, sh but she's been in some real clunkers too. There's one with um Sylvester Stallone where it's called Rhinestone, and he, he is a New York City cabbie. She has gone to New York to advance her country music career, which seems crazy, although New York City, I think, is the number one country music market on the planet. Um, so she goes there and then like somebody bets her like, I bet you you couldn't make the next person you see a country star. <laughs> she like <laughs> sees ca cabbie Sylvester Stallone. The rest is truly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But wow. um, I mean, but yeah, it sounds kind of amazing, even though I believe you that it's atrocious. Please. I know. Absolutely. Watch it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that was also one. I think it was on the How Did This Get Made podcast. And I had to rent the DVD from the library because I couldn't find it anywhere else. Uh, so, yeah, check out some Dolly Parton. Always. Yeah, always. And if you need like. A breath of fresh air, Dolly Parton. Just fucking do some still magnolias and then go back to them, the other ones, you know? <laughs> yeah. As for me, how is it 2023 and I am just watching The Fall for the first time? Oh, I've never Have seen it. Have you seen this? No. With Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dornan. Uh, Did I? It's like a three season it 
British serial killer. Yeah, drama. yeah, 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 yeah. As I'm watching it, I must say that I'm waffling between, like, I'm obsessed. I, I can't wait to watch the next episode when I turn it off at the end of the night. But there's also, like, the sane part of me that's like, you are a simp for this <laughs> in every way. So I really loved the the U.S. remake of The Killing. I haven't seen the original, so I can't speak to that. But the fall reminds me of how the killing felt so real. It felt like the killer is probably in my house and he knows I'm watching this show about him. Like I'm <laughs> sweating and I'm scared because it's really, really tense. And they do a great job of like, they show you who the serial killer is right away and show his like process and how he's able to blend into society and then also do these horrible things. But then you have, and this all takes place in um, Belfast. And then you have this uh, chief investigator who's been brought over from England, who's Gillian Anderson. And she, like, they kind of touch on the fact that she's English and that she's an outsider in Northern Ireland. And she's here to, like, be in charge. I think that's, there's a lot of, like, gender, this, like, petite, beautiful woman is in charge of everything. And a lot of the men have problems with that. But what I also realize, back to uh, Cindy Crawford and Katie Lang, is, boy, Jillian Anderson has sexual chemistry (laughs) with every prop, every piece of furniture, (laughs) every wall, every person. So, like, there are scenes where she's like, get me the report. And I'm like, oh, how did they... Yeah. How did they do that to me? I just finished watching the last season of Sex Education, which is not great, by the way. But I haven't watched it, but I will. Yeah. You I mean, you, if you watch the other seasons, which were great, you should definitely just wrap up the show. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just bring it up because she's so hot in it. Just like, <laughs> you know, she's like struggling. She's like a new mom, whatever. And you're just like, yes. Yeah. Please. Can this whole show just be about you? It's like I feel there's a part of me that's like you are being manipulated by the fan fiction writer who created like they're like oh but we're gonna make sure that she has like a uh an overtly sexual line in every episode (laughs) but also that i'm like wow she's so like that i'm looking at her and not thinking like wow she's really gonna like solve this case she's really dedicated to like making sure that these victims get avenged instead i'm just like damn well can i help what do you need yeah i remember (laughs) this is an extremely embarrassing like young person thought but i remember uh watching the x-files as a kid or whatever however old i was and being like jillian anderson is hot but i don't understand why because she's like an old whatever woman you know like (laughs) i I just like she like i didn't she she didn't fit the sort of stereotype of hotness at the time and like my young like yeah you know pubescent brain was just like i don't understand why she had newscaster hair and yeah she looks terrible in it a corporate government suit um and she was like 27 uh the the other thing that I've been thinking about is the fall started in 2013, I think. And this is the role that Jamie Dornan got cast in Fifty Shades of Grey out of. Uh, not a spoiler. He's the, he's the killer. Like, it's set up from the beginning uh, that it's going to be these two against each other. And there is something about, like, why are they making this killer so sexy? Mm. Like, why are they making him so desired? by women that he meets why is even the scenes where you see him being violent like why are they kind of filming it in this way where it it's like yeah i can see why they cast him as uh, christian gray in that twilight fanfic that was super successful but there's also just something there where i'm like this show is very good but i keep asking myself like is this just like a a fant like this is a little bit of a a fantasy that I think you're supposed to feel a little uncomfortable by. And Mm. that's interesting. Um, Whether or not that makes it like a better show or a worse show, I don't know. That's kind of the thing. That is our show for today. Anita, where can people find you? 
I can be found in my bed with a broken foot. <laughs> boo, boo. <laughs> um, I'm Anita Sarkeesian on all the things. So Twitter, if that's a thing still, uh, Instagram, Blue Sky. And my website is anitasarkeesian.com, which is going to get in a little minor revamp soon. I'm Kat Spada. You can find me at cat underscore ex underscore machina on Twitter. And be sure to follow Feminist Frequency at FemFreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode where we're going to talk about horror and scary media stuff because it's October. And also, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, check out the Discord. We are doing more live events, watch-alongs. We did an AMA, doing some fun stuff. So make sure to engage with everyone there and if you like the show please help other people find it by subscribing rating and commenting on your favorite podcast app anita thank you so much for coming back and so excited to be here always thanks for listening y'all bye